Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, listeners of BYU Radio. This is Richard Ayer, and with me uh, vicariously is Linda Ayer. You're used to hearing from Richard and Linda Ayer on Ayers on the Road. The only problem is that right now Linda is what you might call indisposed by virtue of the fact that she is taking care of several of our grandchildren. We've just finished our reunion, our annual reunion up at beautiful Bear Lake, and most of them have gone on home to their places of abode. But one of them, our daughter Shawnee and her husband, took off for India to do a humanitarian expedition for a wonderful organization called Rising Star. And uh, they took their two older children. They have a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. And uh, they left their three youngest children with us. And so we're back into the full-time parenting business. And we thought it would be wise today, since one or two of those three children is a little loud at times, to divide and conquer. So Linda got the pleasant job of being with those three girls today, and I got the equally pleasant job of talking a little to you about parenting and about some of the things that are on our minds this particular week. So try to bear with me. I know it's much more entertaining when Linda's on and when we're having a little bit of banter and she's sometimes disagreeing with my assertions and so on, but I'll do my best to hold down the fort for this particular week. I might mention just a little more about uh, this humanitarian expedition that uh, our daughter and son-in-law and their two older children are on. Often when we're out, let me preface it by saying that often when we're out speaking to parents or presenting to parent groups around the country, one of the questions that comes up, and I like the way it's sometimes phrased, uh, is this question, how do you unspoil your kids? Unspoiling a child is not an easy thing to do, I can tell you, and whether we like to admit it or not, most of us have done a little spoiling in our time, and some of us have done a lot. And how do you unspoil kids? And The reason I think that's an amusing question is that it sounds like there must be a quick fix somewhere. There must be some way to just, um, you know... uh, wave a magic wand and suddenly kids are grateful and responsible and motivated instead of spoiled. Well, of course, (coughs) there is no such thing as a quick fix in parenting. But I will tell you this, the closest thing to a quick fix when it comes to unspoiling your children is to do exactly what Shawnee, our daughter Shawnee, and her husband Dave are doing right now. Now, I'm not implying, in case they ever listen to this show or this rebroadcast, I'm not implying, Shawnee and Dave, that your kids are spoiled, but I will say that most parents ask that question. How do I unspoil kids? And one of the ways that is the closest thing to a quick fix is take them on a humanitarian expedition. Now, in this case, Shawnee and Dave have really gone all out. They're in India. They're in Chennai, near Chennai, India, the southern part of India. 
and they are working with an organization called Rising Star, who has a, which has a very unique mission. They are uh, a, a, an NGO or a humanitarian group that is taken on the challenge of trying to help leprosy affected Indian children. Now, some of you may say, "Well, I thought I thought leprosy was." Cured. I didn't think leprosy still existed anymore. And you'd be essentially right. There are very, very few new cases of leprosy, at least in India. But the problem is, much deeper than that, and without boring you with a lot of details, many of you know that there's a caste system in India. And the lowest of all the castes, and called by the horrible name, untouchables, um, is made up of people who literally are untouchable. If you follow the caste system, which many, many Indians still do, unfortunately, then you do not even acknowledge a person who's in the untouchable class. You don't look at them. You don't speak to them. You don't hire them. You don't do anything with them. And the only thing they can be, frankly, is beggars because... They're unemployable. They're, you know, once they're labeled as a member of the untouchable class and they can't go to school, they can't go to the public schools, they have absolutely no rights at all. Why am I telling you this? Because this wonderful humanitarian organization has taken on this challenge of trying to help these leprosy-affected kids. What leprosy-affected means is not that they have leprosy themselves, because none of them do but their parents do or their grandparents do. And you see, once you're a member of a caste, that follows you through the generations. And so these kids would have no opportunities. They would even, in some cases, have been subjected to real atrocities of maiming themselves or having someone essentially turn them into a cripple, horrible as that sounds, so that they could be effective as beggars on the streets. Uh, in this case of Chennai, one of the larger cities in southern India, but you'd find the same thing in Delhi or in Bombay or in other cities around India. But anyway, uh, what happens is that this this wonderful organization, Rising Star, brings in volunteers, usually as families, and and they they have built a, a school for these two or three hundred children who are leprosy affected and what what the volunteers do is they come in and help with the school and help with the kids and of course the kids also have sponsors uh, who are Americans and send send them a certain amount of money every month this organization you can look at, at more detail on it at risingstar.org I'm pretty sure that's it if not google just google rising star or Rising Star Outreach, and you'll find it. But anyway, the point I was making, I mean, obviously it's a wonderful humanitarian group and does a lot of good. And by the way, they also go into the leprosy colonies, which still exist in southern India. And again, there are very few, if any, cases of active leprosy, but there are people who have been severely disfigured and crippled by the disease. And the volunteers go in and and help out in any way they can. In fact, we were Skyping with 
Shawnee and her family the other day, and Max, their 15-year-old, indicated he'd been in the leper colonies that day washing the feet and the hands of these wonderful people who've been who in the past have had leprosy and have lost most of their hands or most of their feet. And uh, the volunteers go in and wash them and put new dressings on them and talk about a humbling experience. Anyway, you can probably tell where I'm going with this, that by taking kids on this type of a humanitarian expedition, what happens? Well, they they have an awakening. They have an awakening to how so much of the third world lives. They have an awakening as to the fact that about a third of the world's population lives on less than a dollar a day. They have an awakening to the fact that their life in America is enormously privileged and enormously favored. And they come home, frankly, after a 10-day expedition in this case, far more grateful for what they have, far more empathetic and aware of the way that many children their age throughout the world have to live, and far more able to really sort of face the life that they have more as a responsibility than as a privilege. In other words, and I think that's probably a good way to state the goal, by the way, for most of us as parents. We would like our children to, number one, acknowledge how blessed they are and how favored they are to live in this day and age in a in a country like America and to have the opportunities that they have and so on. And probably a good way to state the goal is that most parents would like to see their children view that privilege and those blessings not as something that makes them superior to others or something that makes them special or entitled in some way, but rather something that makes them very, very grateful. And we would like them to see that series of blessings as a responsibility and as a stewardship, if you will, rather than as a privilege or some sort of special gift that they've been given for which they owe the world nothing. And really, we have, we've been on a lot of these expeditions uh, with our family. We've been to Bolivia. We've been to various very poor parts of Mexico. We've been to India. We've been to Africa, to Kenya. And we've taken kids and grandkids, and we've watched the, family, the kids in other families who have gone. And I can tell you, it is, as I said at the top of the show, it is the closest thing I've ever seen to a way to unspoil a child. They come home after one of these expeditions feeling very, very different about who they are and where they are and what they owe the world. And maybe they come home feeling they can potentially become part of the solution in the world rather than part of the problem. So I hadn't intended to spend quite that much time, but as long as I'm talking about it, I want to give you two other websites the one I mentioned, risingstar.org, concentrates in this one area of southern India and focuses on leprosy-affected kids. There are two others we love, one called choicehumanitarian.org. That's choice, as in making a choice, humanitarian.org. And the other one is called ascend, 
alliance.org ascend as in going up and alliance.org and that one uh, both of those two focus on various countries around the world and offer many different expeditions each year where you and your family can go now some may say oh my goodness I can never afford that some of them are very very reasonable especially the ones that go into Mexico uh, really, essentially, all you pay is your transportation to get there. Once you're there, it's very economical because you're basically living in a village helping these folks, these poor, poor people. And you pay a little bit of money into the project. For example, maybe you're digging a well, maybe you're building a school, maybe you're building a clinic, maybe you're irrigating, uh, doing an irrigating system for crops in a little village. And you pay some money to go toward the costs, but the costs are so low. And I had someone the other day tell me that, you know, you can go on one of these humanitarian expeditions for a week or ten days much, much cheaper than you can go to Disney World. And so, or a cruise. So it's something to think about if you are one of those parents who sometimes asks, how can I unspoil my kids? Well, let's take a little break. Again, for those joining us late, Linda's not with us today. She's taking care of some grandkids, and we talked before the show about some of the things we'd, we'd talk about, and I'm, I'm being the voice for them today. So we'll take a brief break, and we'll come back. And when we return, I want to branch to a little different subject, and uh, it has to do with the relationships in our lives, not just our parenting, but all the relationships we have with other members of family, extended family, and so on. And I want to share with you some thoughts about how we can focus a little more of our effort on those relationships and maybe a little less on some of the things we think we're achieving in life. So we'll be back in a moment, and we'll talk further And on Ayers on the Road. Back again parents out in the listening audience and whoever may be tuned in to BYU Radio today. Richard Iyer today, usually with Linda, my better half, I say unabashedly and unashamedly and unequivocally, but uh, Linda is watching over some grandchildren today and I'm left to do the radio show on my own, but I'm representing a lot of her thoughts. She told me what to say, in other words, and we talked the first half of the show about unspoiling a child by getting him out of his comfort zone into some kind of a humanitarian project where he becomes aware of his blessings, his or her blessings. This this second half of the show, I wanted to branch into something just a little different. Um, it's been on my mind lately that uh, I saw a poll not long ago, and one of the questions on it was, what is the most important thing to you in your life? And there were only two options to choose from. One was relationships, and one was accomplishments or achievements. And very interestingly, and I think gratifyingly, a big majority of people who answered that question said relationships are actually more important than accomplishments or achievements. And that's a very interesting thing when you think about it because, and the reason most people agree with that is, is very simple. We, we love our families. We love our spouses. We love our children. We love our 
parents. We love our cousins and our aunts and uncles, and and we love our friends. We love our associates in in a certain way. And and when we're faced with a distinction of choosing what really matters in life, most of us say it's our relationships. Here's the irony, and, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We spend more time and more mental effort and more of our finite amount of attention that we have on achievements or accomplishments than we do on relationships. I doubt very many of you would argue with me on that. So much of our 24-hour day is spent working, of course. We have to. We were grateful to work. We, we, we need to work. It's an important thing. It's mostly achievements. We're trying to accomplish something. We're trying to dig a ditch, or we're trying to write a memo, or we're trying to hold a meeting, or we're trying to sell a product. We're, we're, we're working at accomplishing things. And no one in their right mind would say that's not important. But like I just told you, most of us do say relationships are more important. Is there a problem? Here's the question I want to pose to you as listeners. Is there a problem with the fact that there's an inverse relationship? We, we say one thing, and yet we act a little differently. We say relationships are more important than achievements or accomplishments, and yet we spend more time on the accomplishments or the achievements. Could it be different? Would you like it to be different? Are there some priorities that could be shifted a little bit? I guess that's the question. And to, to get at that question, we have to ask another question. Um, why? Why is it that we don't spend maybe as much time as we should or as we want to or as we wish we could on our relationships? One way to sort of bring that home, I guess, is the old saying that you've probably heard before about the old doctor who who made the observation, I've been with a lot of people on their deathbeds, and I have never, ever heard any one of those people say, oh, I wish I'd spend a little more time with the business. Oh, I wish I'd spend a little more time accomplishing things or building my resume or earning money. No one says that on their deathbed. What they say, of course, is, I wish I'd spend a little more time with my family. I wish I'd spend a little more time with my Friends, I wish I'd spend a little more time with my relationships. So the question again, and I'm sort of maybe uh, stating the obvious, but, but why? Why is it that we don't make some of those priority shifts? Now, you might say, well, you know, we don't have a choice. We have to work. And, of course, that would be true. But, you know, there are 24 hours in a day, and if we work 8 or 10 hours a day, that still leaves 14 or 16 hours a day. We've got to sleep. But there probably is some time in there to do a little more with relationships. I have a theory that I want to share with you that one of the reasons we sort of overexert on accomplishments and underexert on relationships is that it's much easier to work on accomplishments than it is on relationships. In fact, I'll say it a different way. It's much easier to set a goal and achieve it in a relationship than on in, in an achievement than on a relationship. If I want to earn a thousand dollars, I can set a goal. I can get a plan. I can go and try to do it. 
If I want to get a promotion in my company, I can set a goal, I can get a plan, I can work toward it, I can take some intermediate steps, I can see the progress I'm making. And you know what? I'm going to get a lot of accolade, a lot of praise, a lot of recognition for accomplishing that goal, that achievement goal, if you will. Relationships, on the other hand, while we know they're important, do do we know how to pursue them? I mean, we can say, well, I want a better relationship with my son. I need to spend more time with him. That would be pretty obvious. But can we really go beyond that? Because we're much more sophisticated than that on on our achievements, aren't we? We don't say, well, I want to accomplish more, so I'll just spend more time at work. I mean, that might help. Excuse us, we had a little technical difficulty and lost the connection, but uh, I was just saying as we lost the connection that it is so intriguing that achievement goals lend themselves more to setting short-range goals and plans. And, you know, I was saying that you can you can say, I want to earn this much money by the end of the year. I've got to do this much in January, this much in February. You can kind of quantitate it. You, you can quantify it, and you can go after it if it's an achievement. But how in the world do you do that with a relationship? I mean, I suppose you could say, well, I want a perfect relationship with my wife in one year. Therefore, I have to get to 20% by the end of February. But that's, you see how crazy that is? It's just really almost impossible to quantify a relationship. So what I want to do is share with you Probably three thoughts just in concluding today that I think actually allow a person to set a meaningful relationship goal as opposed to an achievement goal. And I want to suggest to you that that uh, it's a different kind of thinking than a achievement goal. And so here we go. Number one. If you want to set a relationship goal, instead of trying to quantify it, you need to qualify it. It It's a quality more than a quantity. And the way to do it is to actually write a paragraph about a relationship the way you would like it to be in five years. That's the starting point. And then you can break it down from there to shorter term. But to get a vision in your mind of how you would like a relationship to be five years out. It's a very difficult exercise, but if you'll do it, and if you'll, you can keep it private so you don't have to worry about whether you're the most eloquent writer in the world or the most articulate writer, but just try to write a description of the way you'd like to have your relationship be with a son, with a daughter, with your spouse, And then put it away in a drawer and look at it every couple of weeks and see how you're doing. Because getting that vision of the relationship the way you want it, maybe you'll describe the trust level, the communication that goes on, how you resolve conflicts. Try to make it the ideal and then use that as a guide. Second thing you can do, and we're going to get into this a little more next week and give you additional detail when Linda's here with me, but the second thing you can do is write, pick some words, some specific words that describe the type of person you would like to be within a certain relationship. For example, if you're not patient enough with a child, put the word patience. 
maybe you'd want to put the word confident if you want to express more confidence in that child. Maybe you'd want to put the word consultant if you don't feel like you're listening well enough. Try to come up with some words that describe the you that you'd like to be vis-a-vis that relationship. And if you do, you'll gradually start to feel that you're becoming those words. And then thirdly, work on communication. It's not enough to just spend time with a person that you want a better relationship with. You need to have some communications techniques. And the most important one is being able to ask good questions, really good questions, and then to listen and not to do what we usually do as parents, which is to lecture and to carry on and in ways that sort of kill communications. One final one, and we'll get into more next week, but I love to use the word really. The word really is a wonderful continuer, uh, thing that continues conversation. If you're talking with a child and you editorialize on everything they say or give them advice, they won't carry on. But if they say something to you and you just say, really? Or you say, really? Or you say, really? Or you say, really? I mean, you can say the word really a hundred different ways, and all of them act as an encouragement for who you're talking to to continue on so you can continue to listen. Anyway, bottom line, we're out of time, but bottom line, relationships are more important than achievements. Work on them hard, and next week on Ayers on the Road, we're going to go a little deeper into setting relationship goals, having some key words, and how to communicate better with family members. Until then, have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road.